Man, it feels good to say this. Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. Well, now that we got the show season kicking off, there's lots of shows to talk about. One of the first shows we're going to talk about that's coming up, if you guys are on the East Coast or you're going to be up there near Niagara Falls, is going to be the German Air Car Show and Social. That's brought to you guys by Your Automotive Jacks Wax and the Fallen Riders support team, man. That's put on by a fellow podcast alumni, Greg Stogren. And uh, if you guys are in the north, in the uh, northeast back there, make sure you guys hit up that show. It's one of the premier shows in the northeast, and that's going to be the German Air Car Show and Social. That's going to be happening June 11th through the 12th at Fireman's Park in Niagara Falls. You guys on my east coast, make sure you hit that show up. I'd love to be there. Unfortunately, your boy doesn't got a passport right now. So uh, I, I can't head there. Uh, if by some miracle I get there, trust me, I'll let you guys know that I can check that out. As far as other shows coming up, before that event, if you're on the west coast, make sure you guys hit Bugarama 87. That's going to be taking place at Sacramento Raceway. That's going to be May 28th and 29th. That's the guys from Bug for Bug Formats putting that on, Bugarama 87. And then after that, it's on like Donkey Kong. I better see you guys down at the VW Classic on June 5th. Trust me, there's going to be a ton of stunners out there. It's a whole weekend full of stuff. Kicking off Friday with an open house at Pierside Parts. Those dudes are down. And then the DKP meet in Old, in, in Old Town Orange. After that, on Saturdays, Octo in the morning. Just after you go to Octo, you can have over to the rva show and then sunday tops it off with the classic so we're back first weekend in california the most power-packed weekend of the bunch that's the one i'm going to because that's got all my favorite stuff so i'm looking forward to seeing all you guys there and getting to shake some hands and kiss some babies and uh celebrate my freedom so i look forward to seeing you guys down there for sure also an event coming up that you guys might not know about is the cowabunga vw van clamp buses on the pier that's going to be taking place Saturday, May 14th on the Huntington Beach Pier. Come down to Huntington Beach Pier and see about 135 VW buses on display all along the pier. So we went to that event in 2019. They're doing it again this year. Last time they anticipated about 55,000 people walk through the pier and checked out the buses. This year they'll be even more. So make sure you guys check that out. Make sure you support our sponsors by going to rosswolf.com, purveyors of speed and style for vintage air-cooled Volkswagens. They make some of the highest quality parts in the aftermarket scene for Volkswagens. Parts made by enthusiasts for enthusiasts. Check them out, R-O-S-S-W-U-L-F.com. So tired of the same old magazine? How about checking out VW Trends Magazine? That's right, VW Trends is back. A magazine for the people, by the people, put together by enthusiasts, have some of the most cutting-edge features, and a new way of doing magazines. So go to the website, vwtrendsmagazine.com, and subscribe today. Today's podcast is one that I thought I lost when I had my little mishap in Mexico, but luckily I had it backed up on Skype. So my audio is not perfect, but his audio is fantastic, and that's from our one and only corn panzer, Dave Conklin. You might know that name because Dave was involved in the cowluck.com. He was the moderator for the top 10 fastest cars for DKP. He had a hand uh, in VW Trends Magazine. He's worked for Ultra VW Magazine, Excellence Magazine, Classic Porsche. He's worked for all the magazines doing features, articles, and tech stuff. Dave's a great guy. Been in the VW scene for a long, long time, and I look forward to having him on the podcast. So buckle up, guys. Get ready. This is the first of many that we're coming back out for you guys to enjoy on this week's episode of Let's Talk Dubs.
Okay, everybody. So on my on our show today, uh, I've got a VW character in the world that you guys may be familiar with. Now, this particular individual is out of the Midwest. He's been involved with VWC quite heavily. You may know some of his work from VW Trends or Ultra VWs. And if some of you guys walk the line like me, I, I think he may have done, we've got some similar tastes on a lot of levels, and he's also been involved with Excellence Magazine, as well as a contributing photographer and writer for several different publications. On today's podcast, I'd like to welcome Dave Conklin. Dave, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Bill. Thanks for having me. We've been kind of chatting back and forth, and and, and mm -hmm. I'm familiar with a lot of the stuff that you've been involved with in over the past couple of years, you know, since you're in the Midwest, and you've been focusing a lot more on some of the Porsche stuff and, and things to like that, and, and a lot of writing that you've been doing for uh, Ultra VW Overseas or some of the other publications that we may not be getting. As you know how we start the podcast here every time, how did you get into Volkswagens, and what's your VW story? Well, it, it, it seems like I came out of the womb as a car guy. Um, my parents joke about how even before I could talk, I would uh, run to the door when a loud car would go by on our street. Uh, you know, it's just, it's from birth. I've always been attracted to cars. Um, as a very young person, uh, child, uh, I was just fascinated with them. You know, before I was 10 years old, I could name all the cars on the street. Um, I just had a car problem. I do have a car problem. It, it, it's gone on. Um, but yeah, we, uh, you know, my dad had been a car guy before he got married and started having kids. I had two older sisters. Um, I was the young one in the family. I was a baby. So about 10 years between me and my next oldest sister. So they were driving uh, when I was six, seven, eight years old. They were getting their first cars. And the, the first cars dad bought for them were Volkswagens. My oldest sister got a 63 Black Beetle. And uh, the next sister got a 67 Black Beetle. And we just got into Volkswagens. Dad found them, you know, he, he, had, he had a limited budget, um, but he liked tinkering. So he could work on them, you know. We got the J.C. Whitney catalogs and, and yeah. uh, he... You know, we would work on my sister's cars, and then when they were out of the house, he went and bought a 67. It was pretty rusty, and, uh, you know, he didn't have any network. He didn't have a lot of tools, equipment, anything like that, so it was bending up aluminum sheet and pop riveting it in, and he was pretty good with the body work. You wouldn't have known for at least for a few years till it started popping out again, but uh, he built a nice little burgundy 67, kind of J.C. Whitney look, quasi-cow look car um, when I was still pretty young, but we would... We'd buy, we'd buy Volkswagens, um, strip them out for parts, you know, mm -hmm. for stuff we were working on. Uh, we got to the point where I think the, the two of us in about 20 minutes could walk up to a car and pull the motor out of it, have it on the ground. And, you know, it was pretty fun when you're 10, 11 yeah. years old. Um, so your dad was pretty mechanically savvy. He was, yeah. Yeah, and he taught me an awful lot. Um, I, I've kind of got just a natural inclination toward that, I guess you could say. Um, sure. I've always, I've always turned wrenches. I've always liked working on things, but he taught me an awful lot with that. So. And now um, this was, this is in the Midwest, right? I mean, you, you're not from the West coast. Right. No, born and raised here, uh, just South of Dayton, Ohio. Okay. So, and that's kind of, that, is that the area they call the rust belt? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like everything there just rusts because of, you know, weather and salt on the roads and all that stuff. So it's yeah. a different, the VW world's a little different for you out there. Now, now because you got into VW, so like for us out here, you know, I'll see like a hot rotted bug or something pink in the eighties or whatever. And I get into it. 
but it wasn't the same for you guys over there, was it? I mean, you didn't have like all a big street scene look and all that kind of stuff, did you? Not at all. Um, like I said, you know, we'd get to J.C. Whitney. Right. I'd, I'd peel through that, you know, sitting at home, summer vacation. I'd I'd build my fantasy Volkswagen out of the J.C. Whitney catalog. Um, and then I remember we went to visit my grandmother down in southern Ohio when I was mm, 10, nine, yeah. nine years old, not quite 10 years old. And we went to the grocery store. And funny enough, in this southern Ohio, um, pretty much down in the holler, a little little grocery store they had hot vw's i had never yeah. seen hot vw's before so my dad bought it for me and i'd been reading car magazines i mean you know i since i was like six seven years old hot rod things like that um and to see a, a dedicated volkswagen magazine just blew my mind so here i was right. nine ten years old and that was what really triggered me was that and i i still have that magazine like you know i can go right oh, to do it you? oh yeah which which, yeah. which which episode which issue is it that was the uh, August 1980 issue of Hot VWs. And what's what's interesting is be, it, you know being a, being a VW enthusiast, you know, and I know that we're we're, we're going to get into that a little bit. We're we're really multi-platform car guys, right? Like mm-hmm. we both have some similar cars, and uh, you know, but I think when you when you have something that you really like about a Volkswagen, and you're just seeing hot rod magazine after hot rod magazine, you're looking in the background for cars in the parking lot, like oh, there's a bug there, and there's, <laughs> you know, trying yeah. to find somebody that's doing something similar to what you're doing. So when's the first? So you get the you get that Hot Wheels magazine in 1980, and is is that the issue that you start getting introduced into like the street look and the and the cow look and stuff like that? What they're doing on the West Coast? Immediately, immediately yeah. went right for the cow look. Um, as I recall, that issue had it was either that issue or the very next one it had a California look section in it. It wasn't the official issue cow look issue, but it right. had a section in it with three cars. Um, I, I still remember them. It was a like a, a beige 65 and a, a blue 68 or nine on Riviera's and and um, I think it was Don Melling's oval window, uh, baby blue oval window. You know, burn yeah. burn in, man, because that's all I would do. I just sit there and go from front to back in, the, in these magazines over and over and over. Um, but yeah, I, for whatever reason, the cow look was immediate for me. I, I was fascinated by it, just blown away, blown away by it. I mean, on the you know, we had a girl in our in our car club back in the day, and she was from South Dakota, and we, we called it the South Dakota look. Like she had like Jackman style wheels with low profile tires and flared fenders with a little pinstripe and stuff like that yeah. on there. And there's there's distinctly, I think, a Midwest look, you know, that's a, that's because the cow look, the streets are nice. They're not designed for water runoff and all that kind of stuff like they have in the Midwest right. and other areas that get snow. So like people can drive their cars super low, but I think what happens is you know, form follows function where in the Midwest, you can't have your car super slammed because you've got these, you know, ingress, egress of these places you got to get to. So when you decide to follow the cow look, man, like you're, you're committed. And and then where do you start? I mean, this is before the internet, right? So for you to oh, get yeah. a set of Porsche alloys or something like that, that's kind of a, that's kind of an ordeal, huh? Like what, what's your first way you build a car? Well, we, when I was, I think 13, uh, my dad had a business trip down in South Carolina. And he'd learned his lesson from that 67 he built, you know, just it's not worth it to deal with rust. Right. I still very much believe that. I mean, just go buy a good car. You're light years ahead. Um, But even by then, you know, early 80s, early mid 80s, it was rust was Volkswagens were going away back here because they they just all rusted down. Um, 
so yeah, we went down to South Carolina uh, for a week and we found a car down there, you know, got the local trading post and found a, uh, a beige 69 sedan, a uh, super clean little car. I mean, it was looking back on it. It was a really nice little car. Yeah. And we, uh, we went, found a local Volkswagen shop and bought their tow bar from them. Um, you know, it <laughs> I'll was, take that 30 bucks. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, dad's like, I need a tow bar. Do you have any? And they're like, no, just the one we used to drag cars around with. He's like, how much? And they're like, well, we have to replace it. So full price, even though it's used. Um, I, I used that toolbar or that tow bar for probably 25 years, but, uh, yeah. So we threw it behind our Ford Granada and drug the thing home <laughs> to South Carolina and, uh, spent the next, I guess, three years restoring that car. Um, it was, and it was fun. It was cool. I learned a lot. We did it all ourselves. Dad painted yeah. it in our single car garage. Uh, the paint what turned color? out nice. He, he was actually really, he's really good with the paint and body, you know, for what little equipment and, and experience he had. Um, yeah, painted it a GM, like fire mist burgundy. Oh, okay. Uh, dechromed it. Uh, you know, had a friend that could weld. So we, you know, asked him to weld up the holes, which he did for us. Um, Eventually, I found another deck lid and welded up the had had this buddy of ours weld up the holes in it and had a punch full of louvers and um, MP8 spokes and uh, 145s and 165s. Uh, you know, I was at this time I was 15, 16 years old, so not even quite ready to drive. And uh, yeah, you know, it was a nice little clean, low budget, quasi cow look car. And what's funny, what's do, well. And I don't know why you're saying quasi, I mean, maybe because of the style, but I think like there's always this debate where 67 or earlier cow looks. But if you go back in the in, in the late 70s, early 80s, guys are using 68, 69s. I mean, all all that part, like the MP8 spoke to me is a cow look wheel. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. And, no, I, and I see I, that. There's two, two things there you hit on. Um, the first, I agree wholeheartedly. If you go through those magazines in the late 70s through the mid, even late 80s, yeah. The late model cars were the cool cars. 6871. That there were more Cadillac cars in hot VWs of that era than there were pre-67 cars. Um, yeah. why that changed, I don't know. I think they still look great, but that's another tangent. Um but yeah, quasi Cadillac car because you know, in my mind it wasn't quite low enough. Uh it had a 1600 dual port. I found a set of junkyard 041s that I put on it and uh a set of 40 Delordos I got pretty cheap and put on it. So, you know, 1600 stock cam, stock compression, uh, dual 40 Delordos. That was a good runner. Uh, but it looked good. It looked real good. And oh, uh, got, I've got a picture over here. It's got a good stance, and they'll be able to see on the video copy of this. But it's a sharp-looking car, man. For what year is that? You're, you're cruising that thing around? Uh, I started driving that in 87. Nice. So, yeah, it was fun. You know, the only Cadillac Volkswagen in my part of Ohio. And so what was the scene like? Like, where, where do you get together? I mean, because you got to go, I mean, VW people got to look for other people or you're just the outcast at the Chevy meets. There was no scene other than there was some, you know, there's a local shop. Larry's Off-Road was kind of the local parts house and, and they did a lot of doom buggy stuff, but they also raced. A couple of the guys there at that shop were into drag racing. So they, oh. uh, there were a handful of fairly hardcore racers. But as far as street guys, yeah, I mean, you know, back here in the Midwest and Ohio, um, you were either building a 1641 for the street or mm -hmm. a race motor. There was no, 
you know, 2276 with IDAs, that was a race motor. You're not going to drive that on the street. That's ridiculous. Um, right. Yeah. And so what happens to this car? I managed to wreck that one, Bill. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, I rear-ended a lady at a stoplight. Um, so, yeah, I did that. I was dating my wife at the time. Um, kind of got a wild hair and started cutting it up. Because this by now it's 1989, 1990. And, uh, you know, the custom thing was more coming in. And so, yeah. and I was learning to weld and fabricate and, you know, wanted to use those skills I was learning. So we uh, I took the doors off of it. My brother-in-law made some hidden, hidden hinges for me. He was a street rotter and fabricator. And I did suicide doors with hidden hinges and a uh, 67 front clip and deck lid and rear apron and um, smoothed everything out and trick dash and got it in the primer and just realized, well, two things happened. I, I realized I didn't really like it. You know, it just wasn't because by then, by Custom 1991, well, yeah, by 1991, we were starting to see the whole DKP thing come back, right? Well, the the resto custom look starts to come about, right? Like where it's, that, uh, it's kind of vintage and, and the suicide doors and all that stuff. By the time you sharpen your tool set, like right. that's starting to phase out, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then the hot VWs came out with the DKP guys on the cover, you know, Schwimmer and, and Gary Berg and Dave Mason. And that yeah. was like, oh, wow, those are street cars. They got big motors. Um, you know, I always wanted to go fast. So I sold that to a friend who built a race car out of it. And that's uh, right about the same time I found my 67 I have now. So that would have been 93, I believe. Um, and the yeah. 67 you have now, that's kind of the car you're known for because of all the work and how long you've had that car. Um, and really, it's it's interesting. I, I ran into... Uh, I ran into Scott Smith at the Grand National Roaster Show. Actually, I was talking to Aaron Broughton, and we started mm -hmm. talking about Scott Smith. He goes, hey, I know Scott. He's here. He's a paint rep because he was a painter by trade. And Scott Smith had the black 67 that was like, car. In, my, yeah. in my opinion, that was like the first all MP car. Like he won the MP race, right? Right, right. Oh, that car <laughs> and, was so cool. Yeah, that, that car just had – and what's, what's, what's funny is – Back then, you know, you had two things happening with the scene, right? You had it seemed like the the custom thing was really pushing way past the point of cool, like it was getting kind of funky where people were doing these wild body mods. And I remember there was a guy that had like a, a VW logo over his back window, and the, yeah. it was going like spinner wheel style almost. Mm -hmm. And then you had the resto custom thing starting to come in, and then the resto custom thing people would get caught between like. Okay, I want to do impy stuff, but I also want to do vintage, you know, like rock, you know, rock guards and all that kind of stuff. And, and so there was a there was a fine line, but it, it's interesting that the, the cow look vibe has always kind of stayed classic and traditional. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. And as that starts to come back, you start to see the DKP thing, and then what cowlook.com is happening, and, and which you yeah, that wasn't for another decade or so that came along. Oh really? Right. Oh yeah, yeah. So now you see the so now you see the Cowlick cars. You see this thing mm -hmm. get you motivated to start doing that. You buy your '67, or do you yep. pick up the '67? Uh, 20 minutes from home. It was a Texas car. Uh, Air Force guy got it uh, from the base. Uh, it's actually uh -huh. a, it's actually a German market car. It's a uh, Euro <laughs> Euro 1300. Um, so somehow it made it over to an Air Force base in Texas, where this guy got it. 
he actually raced it at the, some of the Ennis, Texas buggins back in the eighties oh, really? with a little motor and, you know, original paint and all that. Um, and he brought it back here and stuck it in his garage and, and I bought it for 850 bucks. Um, nice, clean little European 67, uh, neat car, uh, had four wheel drum brakes from the factory. Um, Steering column lock. But it had four lug brakes, right? Yeah, four lug drums. Yeah. The 1500 got four lug discs, but the 1300 had drums. Now, this is be, and, and this is kind of before. Did you know it was a Euro model when you bought it? Or you're just yeah. like, man, this guy changed all this stuff? Or no, no. Where I, were you yeah, at? I, I could tell it had Euro headlights on it. Um, you know, no, no four way flashers because they didn't do that in Europe at that point. Um, so, right. And I was already kind of a 67 nerd anyway. My dad, had two of them and loved them and you know reading all the hobby w's magazines soaking it all up and that was that was kind of my jam so you knew you knew it was a european 67 yeah yeah nice so you get this car and, and he's got a motor in it when you buy it, like it's already kind of a peppy motor or what no no it had no motor at the time so just a rolling chassis rolling so car. 850 you pick this car up and you're like i'm going cow look style with it and yep. then What's, what's your plan for this car? Well, it's funny, about the same time, um, you talked about the MP stuff and Scott Smith's car. That that car was an inspiration. I, I really dug that thing. I, and the MP stuff was cool because I, I'm a, uh, I'm a parts hunter. I love, I love swap meets. I mean, anybody knows me, I'm the first guy at the swap meet. Um, yeah. It's my favorite, favorite days of the year, swap meets. I just, I love the whole treasure hunt thing. And so I got into the MP thing. Um, it's the first MP parts I bought, Bill, kind of a neat story here. Um, I, I don't even know where I saw him advertised, probably our local trading post, some guy about an hour North of us way up in, in, uh, farm country had a set of MP gauges, Japanese ones, and mm -hmm. one of those MP oil cooler mounts that goes on the rear grill below the rear window on a sedan yeah. for the off-road cars and you, you know, you could bolt two doghouse coolers on it and just hang yeah. out there in the wind. So he, he had, it was a young guy too. And he had these gauges and, and this stupid oil cooler. And <laughs> I called him and worked out a deal. I was going to go meet him. I'm like, I don't know if these are really worth it or I didn't know what I didn't know. So I just picked up the phone and <laughs> called Hoppy W's. And Dean Kirsten answered the phone. <laughs> and you know, you know Dean, right? Yeah. Nicest guy in the whole wide world. He was so nice. And he walked me through everything. Here's what you look for. And here's what you, you know, here's what you should pay. And all this stuff. That's Gave pretty me all lucky. Pretty right? lucky to get him on the phone. Yeah, right. But I, I was impressed because I've been reading this guy's stuff for years. And then he was just the kindest, you know, most generous guy with his time. Uh, no attitude at all. And we've gone on to become very good friends. Uh, he, in fact, he taught me to uh, a lot of good photography skills when I was first learning to shoot cars. Um, yeah. We'd be at events together, and he'd give me pointers and help me set stuff up. And he's he's always been a really good friend. But uh, yeah, so I got into the MP stuff. Um, you know, got the steering wheel and some other stuff, and and uh, went down that route as well. Yeah, I mean, there's at, at that time it was like because they weren't reproducing the MP stuff, it became highly sought after. Mm -hmm. And there's an interesting dynamic that takes place when they start to mass reproduce things. Like if you're a collector, you're almost like, well, 
you, where are you torn? Are you going to buy the repro and put it on your car so that you can actually use it and let it wear out? Or are you just going to keep the new one in the box on the shelf? <laughs> yeah, see, I mean? I'm neither. I was never the kid with the Hot Wheels that kept them in the package. I, I played with them, man. So it's well, the same I, with my parts. And, and I'm, I'm a full believer in that, that you should, if you're going to collect stuff, to use it, collect it to use it, but to collect it to store it for the next guy who might use it, I don't see much. I don't see yeah. much sense in that. The MP parts. Did you start going down an MP path with the '67? Yeah, yeah. So I found a wheel. I found a new old stock steering wheel, one of the big button wheels. Mm -hmm. um, and you know the gauges, ascending unit, um, uh, pretty neat little footrest, MP footrest, dead pedal kind of thing. Um, I yeah. forget several other things. Um, but then also the cow look thing, you know, I found a, a really nice 67 vert deck lid, which was a big deal. It was a huge score. Got that for the huge. car. And uh, yeah, originally I remember it was so huge. I, I called, um, oh, what was the polishing company that did all the five spokes? Um, Mag, Magmasters, oh, remember them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Magmasters, yeah. I remember saving up money and calling in with a credit card and ordering a set of polished MP uh, replicas, um, American Eagle or something, replicas. And that was the first wheels that went on the car for a very brief amount of time. Did you, have you been to California yet to meet any no. of these guys that you started to introduce, you know, meet over the phone and whatnot? No, at that point I hadn't. Um, right as I was finishing the car up was about the time we really, the internet became somewhat ubiquitous um so that would have been 98 97 98 and right. you know it was before any real dedicated sites and we would just use um aol you know the instant messenger but they yeah. there was a as i recall there was like a group messaging or, or different messenger groups on aol and there yeah. was a cow look there was a cow look one and so i got into that started meeting some really cool guys I remember Hot VWs ran an article on the classic and they had all the DKP cars lined up. And I'm like, honey, <laughs> we got to go next year. <laughs> and so, yeah, 98 was my first year out to the classic. I didn't know anybody, but I just wandered around. But that was great for me, Bill, because here I was just wrapping up this car and I built it, you know, built it in my parents' garage. I painted it myself. I did everything myself because I didn't have two nickels to rub together. It wasn't perfect, but I was pretty proud of it. You know, I thought it's it yeah. pretty nice, but it's it's nowhere near the DKP cars. You know? Right, it's not it's not that nice. Yeah, and so then I go out to the classic, and what a great experience that was because I got to see all the DKP cars, and they are so cool, but none of them were perfect. You know, they yeah, all had they all had some age. The cars, they drive them. Yeah, yeah they, they drive them. They use them. They raced them. Um, most of them had a little bit of age to them by then. And so they had their flaws and I'm like, okay, I can do, you know, my, I can play in this, this arena. This is, this is great. Sure. It was really confidence inspiring uh, or confidence building in me to, uh, to see him in person. And so that just doubled me down and I went back and really went to it. The other thing that happened, not that year, but the next year I went back to the classic and uh, I had been talking to this guy named Mark Herbert online. Mm -hmm. on AOL you know he'd pop into these chat groups and stir up trouble and stuff and uh <laughs> didn't really know the fellow but you know just knew his name and talking with him and knew he knew what he was doing but I went to the Pomona swap meet that year before you know the week before the classic 
And as I'm walking out of the place, I see this like six foot five lanky dude carrying a couple magnesium American racing wheels. Or no, I'm sorry. I think they were aluminum. Anyway. Um, and that's one of the ways I built my car was I would scour junkyards in Ohio and old race shops and stuff. And that was before American racing was reproducing the torque thrusts for anything. Well, and, I, and what just ran across my mind is I'm thinking like, this is like late nineties, you're in the yep. Midwest, yep. you get a deep taste of California. And now you've got an advantage of everybody in the Midwest because nobody's really looking for this stuff out right. in the Midwest. Like they're looking for on the West coast. You've got kind of virgin territory out there. That's true. Yeah. But I had, uh, I had scoured, like I said, American wasn't reproducing torque thrust for domestic cars even at that point in time. Right. So I was scouring junkyards, buying vintage torque thrusts and selling them to the hot rod guys. And that's how I was making money to build a car, that and, you know, anything else I could buy and sell and flip, swap meets and whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I knew all about Americans. So I see this guy carrying these wheels. I'm like, whoa, dude, what are those? And he was, he was so pumped up. He's like, oh man, these are, uh, these are American racing wheels, but they're for Porsche. Like, Whoa, I didn't know they even made those things. Yeah. yeah. So that, that kind of triggered me to go find a set of those for my car. And when I got back, I just, you know, I started scouring and found a set out of Florida, I believe, or Maryland, something like that. And, uh, had the fronts narrowed to four inches and, and put them on my car. But yeah, that was Mark Herbert. I got to know him really well. Um, he was a, he was a great dude. No, I mean, there's, you know, it's, I think what's so great about the, the VW scene is like, I think as, as individuals where we were kind of belong to that VW brotherhood, like we, we kind of pump each other up. It's weird because, you know, there's some people come out from the Midwest or the East coast, they'll come out to the VW classic and that first experience. And I think, I, de I think it depends how you enter the water, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're coming out there with your car is different than if you're just coming out by yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, and some people have, that have bought their car and they kind of got cold shouldered a little bit. I remember even when I brought my Type 34 Gia, when I, like I'm, the weekend I'm debuting that car, I'm thinking like, yeah, yeah, Nick's Burger, big deal. I'm going to ISP West and these guys are going to trip out when they see a Type 34 Gia built like this. And then I get there and it's just, and then I realized Type, type, type 3 guy's a little strange. So, <laughs> but no, I'll joke it aside, but you know, I just, part of it because although we build our cars for us we're inspired by others and then we want to see other people get inspired or motivated by seeing our car so there's there's a, a, a couple different ways that, that happens so it, it's good that you get to come out there without your car i think it's better if you come out without your car first you kind of get to know people yeah versus like you're coming out there because i think we all think like when i come out wait till they see my car and then you don't get the you don't get the response you're looking for, right? So. Oh, dude, I, Bill, I was such a dork. I was carrying around <laughs> pictures of my car, you know, unfinished. But I, you know, I had to have at least some, you know, I'm legit. You I got proof, a car, I'm building proof. it, here it is. And I'm showing everybody these pictures. So, yeah, I was, I was kind of kind of a dork. But, um, but that's the by fun 99 part, right? There, what's that? But that's the fun part, right? Like just having that connection with these people from across the country, you know? Yeah. I remember at Pomona, I ran into a guy from um, somewhere in Europe, Belgium, I think. He was from mm -hmm. Belgium. And we start talking because we were looking at some Calic parts or MP parts or something. We get talking and and uh, I said, yeah, I'm building a 67 Calic car. He's, oh, I am too. And I showed him pictures of my car and he's like, a, 
a cow look car like that in Ohio? And I'm like, dude, you're from Belgium. What are you talking about? You know, <laughs> and he was building a really yeah. good car too. But and he was he was just shocked that a guy in Ohio. I'm like, really? You're from Belgium, but whatever. Um, yeah. But no, 99, the second trip back out, we, by then we had, Keith Soom had started the Calic Forum. And uh, so now I was knowing some more people. And uh, that was great. Just really met a lot of good people. Um, got to have lunch over at Steve Beecher's house, one of the DKP guys. Um, yeah, I know Steve. Steve. Ended up, Steve ended up building gearboxes for me for years as, as favors and, you know, giving me the buddy deals and stuff. He built a great gearbox. Um, Got to spend a lot of time with Mark Herbert, got to go for a ride in the SSB uh, once or twice, which was, that's a whole nother story for another, another session. Um, Yeah, I'd almost like to do, I think there's value in doing a podcast just on Mark Herbert, the whole story of all of that, because I I was there that classic weekend, and uh, there's a lot, there's a lot to people that we don't know, and I, and and that's one of the things maybe down the road I'd like to do is just assemble some people to share some stories about him in in, in like, you know, to, to kind of tie that whole thing together. Um, and, and this time, so it's early 2000s. Now you're starting to get online with, with uh, the Cowlick Forum and starting to help moderate some of that stuff and, and be really heavily involved in that, which yeah. the internet, I think, is one of the things that really changed the hobby for us in a huge way. You know, now all of a sudden the world got real small and if you've got the money, you can find it. And and one of my favorite things is, is like the tricks of finding like searching things and you're finding things in different forums or in different uh, classifieds that are hidden VW treasures that aren't in the Samba. It's almost like once they make it to the Samba, they've gone the way of like being overpriced. But mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many things that, that, that changed with the advent of the internet. And I know that we talked a little bit about our generation when we all started getting on Samba. I mean, I just went back and looked at a couple of threads that <laughs> I was talking to people on it. I'm like, man, I got to delete these because I really, I really <laughs> sound like a douche. I'm like, look at yeah. because it's, you get so fired. It was so crazy because you get so fired up, you know, getting online. You're like, Hey, check out my car. And then somebody just says something cross about your car. And then you're just like, wow, why would somebody say, I thought we we're all like buddies in the VW world. And it would, it would take a turn pretty quick. Yeah. Um, what was your experience like with the Calic form and all that stuff back then? Yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, my, my really dear friend, John Plough, um, started Calic.com. And we were we were at the Classic, matter of fact, and walking around, he says, I've got this idea. It's a great idea. He said, I'm going to do a website just dedicated to Calic cars. I'm like, that is a stupid idea. What, <laughs> what you know, what are you going to do? So right. he brought that out, and I started helping him with that. And then about that time or a little bit later, Keith was getting tired of dealing with the forum. So he gave just kind of handed over the Calic forum to John to make part of Calic.com and to blend it all into one. And that really was, that was perfect, perfect timing. Um, brought everybody together. Shortly there, thereafter, I called him up. I remember one night I called him up. And I said, hey, I've got this crazy idea. Why don't we do a, a top 10 contest for streetcars? And we'll, we'll just have a contest, year, you know, year-long contest. And everybody that runs their cars at the track, they just submit a time slip. And at the end of the year, we'll give out little dash plaques and some prizes for the top 10. And uh, it'll be a hoot. And yeah, we had a good time with that. A a lot of drama. Good grief, a lot of drama. (laughs) You know, what what is a streetcar, right? So, 
you know, you got Mark Herbert there with the SSB and you got guys with with full interiors and, you know, everything in between. And so we were constantly trying to police that and keep people calm. And, and it still was a lot of fun. And, you know, CB Performance and SCAT and VW Paradise, a lot of the great sponsors kicked in some really generous prizes. Um, it was pretty neat. You know, people were in, winning some pretty cool stuff uh, for running quick ETs. And that, that bred some serious competition, too, amongst, you know, internationally. So you had, like, Paul Bate over in England with his orange yeah. car, which is just amazingly fast. And, and, and the first year you guys are doing this, what slips are people turning in? Like, what are the fast slips at the time, 12s? Oh, um, street cars were high 11s. Very, really? aspirate, yeah, aspirated cars were high 11s. Turbo really? cars were in the 9s. We had two. We had we had the top twenty for the uh, aspirated cars and top ten for the turbo cars. Um, so that that led to that was when the Ren Kafer Cup thing was going on too. So you had the DKP guys and all those guys out in your neck of the woods doing that. Um, well, I said that's interesting you bring that up because I, I just talked to Lee Bashaw last week, which he's going to come on the podcast soon. Uh -huh. And I, you know, me being a custom guy and like doing my own thing with building the gear and all that stuff. I remember in 2009, Duran Kafer was happening at the Vegas Bug-In, mm -hmm. and I'm in my Type 34 gear, and I'm like, oh, this is cool, you know, but to me, that's like, I'm in a different world. I'm in, like, trying to push the bar, not really paying attention to the Cadillac thing, but I do remember seeing some super nice Cadillac cars out there, and everything's on BRMs, and they all look good, but they're freaking ripping fast. Yeah. And... You know, I was talking earlier with him, and, and so I kind of went down this rabbit hole where I pull up this video, uh, some street race video, or racing, some kind of racing YouTube channel, where mm -hmm. Frenchie's on there with his 54, mm -hmm. and he's talking about starting the Duren, <laughs> the, the, the Duren Kafer Cup series, right. and the rules and all this stuff, you know, which is which is classic Frenchie, right? Because Frenchie's like committed to the OG style club. Right. This is what we're going to do. These rules have to be followed exactly this way. And today I spent time with a, with a guy that flew in from Jody who flew in from Maui. And when I met with the Maui guys when I was on vacation, one of the guys down there, Dorigo, uh, owns his car. He owns Frenchie's 54. So it's funny, like all these things kind of come back and and that car's like, oh yeah, it's Frenchie's 54. But Frenchie built that car to start the Duren Kafer Cup series. Like that was kind of the thing that kicked it off. Mm -hmm. And when you start that class, you know, then it gets like super competitive. Mm -hmm. And that goes for a few years, but then that now are you at this time, are you racing your car, but kind of doing it in the midwest or yeah i'm doing we, i did get out to california one time to carlsbad uh for the classic weekend right um before i go down that path let me tell you a funny story about that whole ring for cup and in that yeah. era so you'll hear once in a while from especially well dean is good for this one and then especially my buddies up in british columbia uh lanny jeff yeah. peterson who you know Good old Jeff, but oh, yeah. uh, they like to use the term Ohio pump gas because I always ran my car on pump gas, right? And uh, so about that time, I think it actually came out of the pro stock VW guys. Uh, there was this stuff called propylene oxide, and one of my buddies from California, uh, will go unnamed, 
starts <laughs> telling me about this stuff. And he had a Ren K for a cup car, right? So one particular year, it was probably like 02, three or four cars showed up for the Ren K for races and were running like two to three tenths quicker than they had the year before with no obvious changes, right? Yeah. And so I'm talking to this guy. I'm like, dude, what's going on? He's like, well, keep your mouth shut, but propylene oxide. Like, oh, what's that? So that was a, a fuel oxygenator that, you know, you'd literally pour in the gas tank and it was like a liquid nitrous oxide. It would add a bunch more oxygen to the mix. So you'd, you'd dump that in the tank and uh, jet up a couple sizes, well, you know, bigger main jets. And yeah. the card pick up two solid tents. Wow. Um, just rip and nasty stuff though, Bill. It was, you know, uh, I think the flashpoint on it was like 100 or 110 degrees or something, extremely volatile, volatile, um, <laughs> carcinogenic. I mean, it was bad stuff. You had to keep it in a cooler at the track, really? otherwise it could risk catching fire. So, anyway, um, pretty nasty cancer causing garbage. So I found a little go-kart track not too far away from me that carried this stuff. And I tried it out. Sure enough, <laughs> car picked up two tents, baby. And uh, I go, oh, this is awesome. And, you know, we're doing that top 10 or the top 20 thing. Sure. So important. There was some serious uh, ego credit on the line here. Um, but I was the only one that ever admitted it. So, of course, <laughs> of course, it becomes Ohio pump gas because I'm the one that dumb one that ever right. admitted to you're the, you're the labeled cheater, right? But yeah, right, right, right. Else right. It's not like it's like guys. I didn't come up with this on my own. Come on, I'm out here in Ohio. But uh, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. We had a good time with that. Um, but you know, it goes back to reading Hot VWs when I was 11 or 12 years old. That first article on Gary Berg's car, uh, picture of it coming off the line at Orange County, wheels up, and and part of the article they said he drove it to the track, ran 12 like 12:39 or 12:40, and then drove it home. And I, that was yeah. the goal I made for myself. I'm going to run 1230s and drive the thing to and from the track. I've got a track about 20 minutes away. And uh, before I went turbo with the car, it's, that was a big deal. I, I finally achieved that goal one night where I drove it to the track and ripped off like a 1235 with pump gas, without propylene, and, really? uh, and then drove it home. Yeah, that was, a, that was an awesome time. And what was the, what was the drivetrain setup back then? What, what was 2332 and 48? No, 2276, 48, uh -huh. uh, 10, 10 to 1. Um, pretty mild, really. It. Uh, what cam? FK8. Relatively FK8, small. huh? Yeah. Uh, 40 by 37 heads. Very small port wow. head. And you're small shifting at what, what RPM you shifting at? Uh, 7, 71. Really? Yeah. And what heads? It was a 041 casting done by a guy named Primo Petrucci in Michigan probably 30 years ago uh they're a deep really? port un unwelded deep port with so max, uh, maxed out with paper thin walls and ready no, to run i mean they're again it's 40 millimeter intakes so they weren't big valves or anything um uh, you know the, the car had tons of torque it made great did you torque. say 40 40 37s 40 37s yeah very That's small normally head. yeah normally it's 42 37s you know what i mean but 44, uh, yeah you got 44 37s yeah that's uh that's a pretty conservative setup. So, and now this car, you're, you're just the whole cow look thing, the, the Ren Kafer, the top 10, and then you decide 
to do what my buddy, I was at Adam Wick's place just earlier. If I'm not dropping enough names in this podcast yet, I'm going to keep well, going. But <laughs> I think I'm ahead of you, but okay. <laughs> I was just there and I was making a joke. We're talking with some of the guys in the shop and I said, yeah, Adam says the guys that can't make power just go turbo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so what makes you decide to switch gears and go turbo on this car? I, I go for rides in cars. Yeah. You know, I'm a pushover. I just like, ooh, I got to have that now. Um, sure. That buddy of mine that bought my wrecked car and made a drag car out of it, I rode in that car on the street when he, before it even had doors and fenders on it. But when I rode in that car, I was like, oh, I got to have 48 IDAs. That's that's wicked. So I did that. And then I went out to Vegas uh, for one of the events, probably 2004. And Jason Lawford gave me a ride in his white car. Um turbo motor nine second car and it was all over i got to have that um so i came home and put a turbo on it and put a cage in it and put a spool in it and all that craziness and so now what the car best turbos so it was the same motor setup so it was a, it was a yeah you ran 10 to 1 with a turbo uh dropped it down to nine which is still a lot for a turbo motor but you know. <laughs> yeah I was say, turbos are about eight and a half i mean when you're pushing it because <laughs> you make it up on the ball button, you know what I mean? Like you just crank boost. So how many pounds of boost you ran? What turbo setup you run on that thing? Oh, it was a TO3, 204 hybrid of some sort. I forget. Um, Under deck lid or was it a blow through? Or is it a draw through setup, right? Oh, it's a big dumb draw through system. Um, no, I decided. Mm -hmm. Huh? But but I've I've had a draw through. I had a Turbo City draw through setup on on the same motor, 1914. Mm -hmm. And I also, and then I switched to the CB EFI blow through and on the dyno, I pulled more power through the, with the blow through setup, but drivability and, and punch feel the draw through just felt so much better. Really? You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and what's crazy is I, I got more horsepower, but I think my tranny, it was the same motor, two different cars. One was a 66, one was a 67, but there were two different trannies. And I just think, Maybe that was a difference in field because dyno numbers, the CB EFI setup had more power, but it was more fun. It's just so fun to have that big nasty turbo hanging out of the deck lid. You know what I mean? Like, well, see, I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to ruin the look of my car, you know. Yeah. And so I've got the brilliant idea of of running the uh, running the header up above the transmission and into the package tray, and I cut the bottom of the package tray out, and I built a box around it where the rear seat would have been. Right. Um, and the turbo and the four barrel was in there. So looked good because you couldn't see it. You open the deck lid and all that's there is just a motor and a fan shroud. There's no carburetors or anything. Um, but it had a super long intake tract and uh, a lot of heat soak stuck in there. You know, instead of being out <laughs> in the air, it, it heat right. soaked pretty bad. So it, it wasn't real responsive on the street. It was real laggy, which in its, that in itself is fun too, a really laggy motor. I mean, the motor made, um, I put it on a chassis dyno one time and it picked up 100 horsepower and 400 RPM. Wow. So it was the proverbial light switch, which was fun, but it wasn't yeah. really user friendly. Um, <laughs> like getting rear-ended by a Cadillac. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it wasn't a great design and you know, I never really got it all dialed in it made a couple good passes but i never was thrilled with it um what was your best et out of that car uh it went 1084 to 127. holy crap and obviously you switched the gearing on the trans 
Yeah, I put a 388 ring opinion and a 104.4. Now you run a bird five or no? No, four speed. Yeah. Still running a four speed. It went through. It went through. Yeah. Well, that that pass where that best pass I ever made was on four wheel drum brakes too, which was terrifying. So yeah, it got little, dissed. It got dissed that, a month later. That's a little sketch. Now yeah. you're now you're jumping in. You're you're kind of getting involved with all the Calip guys. You're on the forums. You're doing this stuff. Now, when do you cross? Because your day job, you're not as your day job. Are you? You're not a photographer and a contributing contributing writer for your no. day job, right? No, not so at all. that. Uh, where, how does the genesis of that begin? Where do you start getting in with that? Um, Dave Cormack from VW Trends. Yeah. Great guy. He uh, uh, he photographed my car in 2000, I think. And a few months later, we were, uh, the next summer, I think it was, we were at um, the Michigan Vintage Festival. And uh, we set up a Calic.com display at the Vintage Festival. Mm-hmm. And John, my friend John Plow was there, of course. He was living in Canada at the time, um, Toronto area. And so he had come down. Uh, Matt Homer was there with his orange Calic car in my car. So we set up this really cool display um, there at the Vintage Festival. And Cormac shot John Plow's car at the event. But he... Uh, he just didn't have enough time to write everything. You know, he was he was the only guy pretty much at VW Trends at the time that was doing any of the feature articles. So, you know, he knew I was somewhat literate and he asked me if I wanted to give my shot at writing a story. And so I did. Um, and that's kind of what it went from there. Um, funny story about that Michigan event. That was, I listened to your guest a few, what, about six weeks ago that helped put that event on and all that. Yeah. He was talking about how when he goes to V8 shows, they, they kind of look down their nose on the the uh, Volkswagens. It's funny. They weren't real happy about the Cowlick guys being there. Um, really? Back then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were we were the turds in the punch bowl on that at that event. Um, we uh, we set up this at tent. The, we had the cars. At the VW event? event? At the VW event? Or this is at the, the yeah, just... yeah, at the vintage VW. Really? Club. Yeah, they're in, at the Volkswagen headquarters in Michigan. Um, I think... What started it was um, we had a TV and a VCR set up when we were showing the the Quaif test video where Mark Herbert does the big smoky burnouts in the middle of the road. And so we had that on a continuous loop because this was before YouTube. No one had ever seen that video before. (laughs) Right, right. So we had had that on a continuous loop with the volume turned up. (laughs) Maybe a little annoying. And then it was a bunch of vintage people for the most part. And no one had seen IDA motors before. So all these people wanted to hear the cars. And so every 15 minutes, one of us is firing up our car and revving it. And after a while, that was, I think, getting pretty old. And then I think the nail in the coffin was while while Dave was shooting John's car over across the road, I was taking somebody for a, drive, for a ride in mine, making passes up and down in front of the Volkswagen headquarters there in Michigan. <laughs> Third, fourth year passes, so that that uh, kind of brought an end to our day. But uh, anyway, where were we? Um, yeah, no, but that, but it's funny how even the Midwest, where you guys should be sticking together, like there's like, oh no, here come these street guys. <laughs> well, that was a long time ago too. Times have changed, um, and we sure. we were derelicts too. But um, yeah, so that that 
kind of started me out writing for VW Trends. Um, and then we had a fellow here in town that had an amazing Porsche collection. collection. Uh, John Dixon was his name. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a good friend. And I had, you know, I had access to his cars. And so I reached out to Excellence Magazine, the Porsche magazine, and said, you know, I have access to some great cars. Um, are you interested in me doing some stories? And they're like, well, you can give it a shot. If, you, if we like it, we'll, uh, we'll run them. And uh, the editor, Pete Stout, was super helpful because, you know, I hadn't been writing that much yet. I didn't know all the little tricks and I needed a good editor. And he really yeah. showed me a lot, a lot of help over the years working with him, um, both with my writing and photography. But uh, yeah, that's that just sort of snowballed from there. And I mean, you've written for quite a few. I mean, you've contributed for quite a few magazines. I mean, we're talking uh, VW Trends, you were you were pretty consistent with VW Trends, I think. I remember I, I see I remember seeing you a lot in Trends, mm-hmm. but I do remember noticing your name crossing over with Excellence because, like I said, I've got a collection of Excellence magazines as well. And then you did you know some tech pieces for Hot VWs, then classic Porsche magazine, and then Porsche Panorama. Um, that's kind of a big deal, right? That's the Porsche Club of America's magazine. Uh-huh. That's like it's like. For those of you that might not know this, it's like a baby National Geographic, but it's all uh, it's all Porsche it's all Porsche stuff. So it's kind of like a, a mid-sized magazine. And if you're a Porsche guy in the Porsche Club of America, you're gonna get uh, you're gonna get that magazine. So that's kind of a big deal to be to have stories featured in Panorama, right? Yeah. Um, he reached <clears throat> out the the editor from Excellence. He actually left Excellence and went to Pano, and he was in a time crunch. And so he reached out to me and asked me to do a quick article um, for him for that first issue. He was heading Panorama. And then I, you know, he continued to mentor me um, through his time there at Panorama. So that was a, that was nice. Well, a lot of nice help from him. I have a crossover to bring up the bull run bus now. Oh, wait, let me get my drink. Let me get my drink. (laughs) So you got to take a shot. You got to take a shot. So (laughs) my, in Excellence Magazine, they always have the renderings, and the renderings were done by Steve Anderson. Right. And he passed away a few years ago, but I remember after the bus was in Bull Run, I sent him pictures of the Bull Run bus, and I said, I'd like for you – I, I found out that he was doing – I found his website, and he would do renderings for cars, and he would not, he would not just do anybody's car. It had to be a car of some sort of significance. Mm-hmm. And I would reached out to him, and I thought to myself – you know, after looking at his bio, he drew Concept One. He worked for Nissan. He worked for all these automakers, but all his drawings are these pencil sketches. And so I have in my garage on my wall a framed pencil sketch of the Bull Run bus done by Steve Anderson, which was just like for me. And unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago, like 57 years old, of a heart attack on. Yeah, I remember that. Like an anniversary cruise with his wife. But when I bought it, I thought to myself, you know, most people think $350 is pretty expensive to spend on a pencil drawing of your car, like a, like a, like an actual rendering. But, and I waited. So he sent me a couple extra, you know, the 356 heritage and stuff like that, all signed by him. But I looked at it and I thought to myself, the connection that guy has with, with drawing concept one, he's one of the, one of the rendering guys for Volkswagen. And I thought the connection to that you know, my like my appreciating his work that he does in in Excellence magazine. And then to have him do that, 
and have it, you know, custom bespoke done for myself. I mean, to me, that's one of my favorite things that I have because, you know, if you're if you're familiar with his drawings, his renderings, when he does the the buyer's guide and stuff like that, that he has a certain style the way he does it. And then to see my bus in the same style mm -hmm. was pretty cool. And 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 I think it's it's funny because in today's day we don't have the artisan type guys that do that, but we do at this in the same respect. Like you can have someone custom make you a set of heads or custom build you a motor or do these types of things. And some people go back and forth with things like that. But but I look at like that drawing, that pencil drawing he did, and I think like, man, to to have that done by a guy that unfortunately he passed away early, but 25 years from now, had he not passed away, I'd be like, oh yeah, Steve Anderson did these illustrations and he's got his own boutique thing. I'm thinking like, those are the guys who were like, they were at a carnival and paid Davey Deal to do a sketch of his bug. Right. You know, think about how cool that is. And, and we really have access to those things. So I think there's there's a lot of things out there that we have access to in the VW community that we can have that are kind of custom done one off of the contemporaries of now that I think in the future will, and you're not doing them to gain value, but I just think it's it's really cool to capture a piece of that. And I'm really into trying to support those people that are in our scene that are that are contributing in some way, shape, or form, but whether it's art, photography, or, or writing, or whatever. But I think it's huge that we that sometimes we we see things are so easily accessible. We go, ah, oh, man, it's not worth it to pay that kind of money for that. But yeah. it's like once you have it, it's a one of one. Yeah. You know. Well, when you can connect it with a person too, particularly if you, oh, yeah. if you have a relationship with that person. And you can go back and say, you know, they did this item for me. Um, I think that's really cool. You know, like oh. you, you had Clyde Berg on recently. And, you know, to be able to say for the guys that know Clyde and had him do a set of heads to their specifications, oh, yeah. say these are Clyde's heads, that's that's awesome. You know, really cool. Well, and and, and so when you're tracking that stuff down, I have the Berg motor that I have in the, in the rag chop. Mm -hmm. And that motor, I was showing someone today, I was touring my garage. I showed them the receipts that I got when the guy was telling me like, I was buying a speedster for $400 and the guy's like, yeah, I got 2000 bucks in a, in a motor and that thing. And I'm just thinking like, yeah, anyway, 2000 bucks, like <laughs> what motor? And so the guy hands me these, I have the original receipts from 1988 from Gene Berg. And the guy spent $2,000 on engine parts for a machine in 1800 CC motor, which is the motor that's <laughs> in my, in the, in the chop top. I pulled out the 2332 and put a machine in complete eighties built Berg motor in that thing. But it was like, when I popped the valve covers off when I got that motor, it's stamped on the back side of the head, ported by Clyde Bird. Nice. And it's just, it's just, you know, it's those things like that that that, that we can get, and they're kind of custom to the scene. But there's so many. I mean, I I, I just looked at it. I have a set of Bird specials here because I just pick up these DCMFs wherever I go. And my brother hates them. My brother likes like 48s or some good, you know. Uh, it's just some good he likes he's a big fan of delordos you know what i mean yeah. because yeah. jet access and all that stuff but the dcnfs my brother just rolls his eyes calls me an idiot and says but you know i talked to clyde on the podcast like why mm -hmm. gene like the dcnfs it's a great carburetor you know it's a good smooth running carburetor so there's so much of these things in our scene that are they've they've, they've gained this 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 reputation of from Gene Berg, like being a really good carburetor. And then most people hate DC. <laughs> yeah. DC because yeah. they're like, if there's not a 48, it's not worth it. You know what right. I mean? Funny story so. on that. I've got a friend back here. He lives in Indiana. And uh, 
oh, back in the mid nineties, he built a nice little green cow look car that was in BW trends. Um, but it had DC nafs on it. Um, and he told me a story one time that he was at an event. It may have been one of the Michigan events or something where, where Gene was at the event and he drove through and Gene stopped him and said, you got DC and F's on this, right? And he's like, yeah, how'd you know? He goes, I can just hear it. I can just tell. Yeah. So, no. you know, it's, there is a distinct, but... there's a distinct sound with the DC and F's. My brother hates it. It makes, I, you know, there's, I, I told the story of the podcast before where I was at Pomona Swampy and I sold a set of carburetors to Gene Berg and it was DCMS. Right. And I was super stoked about it. Now, meanwhile, today I'm trying to find for my new, for Zorba the Gia project, I'm looking for some 44 DCNFs to try to, to try to made up some wedge port heads because everybody's telling me I'm, I'm ridiculous for doing the setup that's in there, but it's a shelf motor that was in there. But I don't want to get too much into me. I want to talk more about you. How do you, because you, because, because we, we also share some common interests in vehicles. Mm-hmm. You're a classy guy, and I knew you were because you have a Riviera. Right. And I knew that you, and not a lot of guys get Rivieras. Right. Why did you buy a Buick Riviera? I've had two of them, Bill. Um, <laughs> now me and me and one of my real good friends in high school, for, we just never did the Camaro Mustang thing. You know, I had a Beetle, and he had a '77 Impala slammed on rallies and police caps, and um but we both for some reason loved rivieras i mean uh there was a guy here in dayton named dave marsh that was well known for for buying these just virginal one owner grandma cars and throwing suspension and wheels on them you know leaving them stock typically a big car like a early 60s impala or something like that right throw some americans and some rake at it and do the suspension and he just had a knack for for trick cars and he had two of them when we were teenagers and we go to the local cruise nights and he did uh, the one especially was a white one on uh, polished americans and bigs and littles and it just had the right look you know and so we were we liked them and uh, i bought one late 90s um had to sell it because i bought my 911 and then a few years back i was walking through a swap meet and found a, a tired old california 63 riviera and it was too cheap to pass up and I hadn't, you know, I hadn't had a good fight with wife for a while, so I, <laughs> you know, went ahead and bought it, and uh, and uh, yeah, it, it's in my dad's garage. I, I don't get a whole lot of time to work on it, but it's, it's a fun old car. You know, I, it, what's interesting about Riviera is the, the what got me fired up for Riviera was I used to do car audio, and I saw Jimmy Jimmy Ray Vaughan. Jimmy Vaughan had a lime. Yeah. He's yep. got a lime green one. I've got and that magazine. I, yeah, I do too. Yeah. <laughs> And it's because I can't, mine is torn to shreds. The cover's ripped off, but I still have the article with his car. Mm-hmm. And, and I was, I did car audio installation and I pieced together the eight inch jail audio eights. I wanted to have that car, right? And I, and I blew up my, my 63 rag top, the one that I was trying to find, that I'm still trying to find so I could track on the VIN number. And I was like, I'm done. I'm getting a Buick Riviera. <laughs> and I found the 65 that I still own today. I found it, you know, five miles from my house in somebody's driveway. It was the most I'd ever paid for a car at the time. I paid 1200 bucks. I went down the road of Rivieras and, and Rivieras are such a unique vehicle from the standpoint of it's a particular kind of person that buys a Riviera that they don't want a Camaro. Yeah. And it looks like, it looks like a 
a Chevelle, a early 60s Chevelle on steroids. Well, the thing is, they I don't know how they sold them for profit because they were hand-built. <laughs> They're painfully expensive to restore. I mean, yeah. just, you know, the, like the end caps on the fenders where typically GM would put a cast pot metal or a plastic end cap on the fender to make the, the peak. It was all hand-hammered, welded, formed, and that was in the early 60s. I mean, you know, it was it was a crazy car. And that was a mid-sized car. It's gigantic, but it was a mid-sized car at that yeah. point in time. So, yeah, I don't know why I have attraction to it. And the weirder thing for me is having been a performance guy all my life, I haven't, I've never had any desire to own a stock car of any sort. I've never owned a stock car. Um, but a couple of years ago, I found a 62 Beetle, original paint, original family, um, all interior glass, never been hit. Everything's original on this car. And I'm having a lot of fun driving a stock Beetle. It's... It's well, new. You know, it's a different experience for me, but it's a lot of fun. People dig it. You know, there's no, there's no uh, <laughs> ego connected to it. It's just a happy little smiley car. And especially the way the things have been the last couple of years, I think it's kind of nice to just drive something friendly. You know, I get a lot of thumbs up and waves and it, it's a fun little car. Yeah. I think that, I, I think sometimes it comes with like, you know, when we're all young and we're, it, it's us like, the Beetle is, is, to me, it's like, it's so punk rock from the standpoint of like, screw you know, like that's the attitude with the street racer Volkswagen. Oh yeah, but for sure. The core, the, the car is so, it's so basic and so simplistic and so like, like just so under refined that it's, it's so utilitarian that they're, they're really just driving on their bone stock. My most reliable Beetles have been stock 1600s mm -hmm. that like you drive the thing uh, like, oh, I don't have any oil and it's been running for three days like this. You know, like my 36er <laughs> that I had in my oval window. I mean, th those cars, they sit in the garage for six months, go out, pump the gas twice, they fire right up, they run real smooth. And driving the original ones, like especially original low mileage cars, is super nice, man. I mean, it's, it's just something... It's like you said, I think as soon as you get in, it just becomes more of like, all right, it's time to take it easy. It's just, a, it just yeah. changes your whole, your whole view out of the windshield looks different. It's fun to drive a car where you can just put your foot flat on the floor all the time. And, you know, yeah. just, you don't have to think about it. You just stick it on the floor and, you, you know, you're not going to speed or anything. Just Over speed bumps, all that stuff. It just yeah. cruises, it cruises right through everything. So what, uh, what are you, what are you doing now and, and how has been you out in the Midwest, especially now we've had a couple of years of this COVID nonsense where travel's been real shut down. Mm -hmm. And now this year it looks like things are starting to kick back up. We've got the classic happening again, which I'm super excited about mm -hmm. because Prado's okay and it's a ton of people and that's great. And I I'm not really a huge big crowd guy and I'm not right. really like a smoky barbecue, everybody smells like weed guy. I'm just kind of more more <laughs> of like I want to appreciate some cool cars. Yeah. You know, like that whole classic weekend for me was the huge draw was for great, Southern California. Go to the, it, it go was to the like, Knicks for the, for the, you know, the cruise night. And yeah, that was, that was epic. I listen in 03. I launched out of there with the bull run bus, just laying track out of there because I just wanted, like, it was, that was my coming out party. I was mm -hmm. like there. It was the first year that I had a car that was finished. I was bringing the classic. Was that 03? It was an 03. That's when, that's when we were out there. 
Yeah, I we, brought our, we brought our cars out. Um, one of the one of the corn panzer guys, uh, Chuck Fryer, was a truck driver, and he borrowed a, a truck and a big three car trailer from his boss. And myself and John Plow and Chuck threw our cars on that trailer, and Chuck drove it all the way to California and back. What a guy, right? Um, yeah, by himself, you know. Uh, we had now, to pay one ticket. I think he got, but. What's the story on the Corn Panzers? How does that whole thing come together? Uh, it was, you know, with guys, we were meet, we met up at some swap meets and stuff. Um, Troy Palmer, if you know Troy out in California, he lives there in, in the LA area. Um, he's yeah. a PKP guy now. Um, he was living back here working for a paint rep and living in Chicago. And I met him at a swap meet, and he was full-on cow look and Impy. I mean, that guy was – Impy Jones was his AOL name at the time. <laughs> and if you know Troy, he's just a big, giant ball of testosterone and ego and, <laughs> and you know, smack talk. Good God. Right. That guy can smack talk. But, yeah, hit it off with Troy. And uh, John was up in Toronto, and uh, Richard Roth up in Cleveland area and Matt Homer in Detroit. We just, you know, we're online talking to each other and we'd see each other at shows and stuff. We decided to make this club. And the, the name actually came from one of the DKP guys. I forget who. Um, is He saw pictures of our cars and stuff. You know, and, and at that time, we'd go out there and we'd have, we'd literally have guys like, uh, do you have cities in Ohio? Um, <laughs> you know, do your houses have doors? And yeah, it's like, They've never been out of Los Angeles. I don't know. So never been I'm like, no, no, we just, curtain. we just got corn. You know, we just got corn. That's it's, you know, right. little grass huts and corn. That's that's Ohio. And uh, and somebody kind of popped off that name, you know, because we had kind of cow look DKP style cars. And they're like, oh, yeah. you're like corn panzers and it's stuck. Um, so we had a really good time. That was a good, good group of guys to hang out with. And we we'd meet up at races and stuff. And uh, me and Troy were constantly kind of seeing who had the quickest car and smack talk and, and yeah it was just it was a good time with those guys but uh yeah in 03 we decided to drag uh troy was already back out in los angeles with his car mm -hmm. and so uh john and myself and chuck we took our cars out there and just you know did the experience we went to we went to carlsbad um did a drag day there we went to uh the dkp night at nick's which was huge um they they were cool enough. DKP was cool enough to save us spots right up front. We got to park up front, which was really very kind of them. Um, nice. You know, just, and you you know you've been there just to have your car in that mecca. And for me, having read, you know, having read mag Hobby W's for my pretty much entire life, just driving up the freeway to different events to the Classic to Irvine. Oh, yeah. And just oh, seeing yeah. the. You know, seeing the, the highway signs for exits for these cities you've just read about, um, they're, they're burnt. Yeah, I know. You know, I remember a car in Hot VWs in 87 that was built in that town and, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, it was great going to, like I said, to, to, well, it was Dairy Queen then. It wasn't Nick's. But, uh, yeah, it was the Dairy Queen meet, man. I remember we'd, we'd go there and they, they had a car. They had carports, I think, set up, too, at the time at Dairy Queen. Yeah. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, because I remember... Like when I when I pulled out of there because I had the Type Four. I mean, you're talking 2000, 2000. I, I think it's got to be 2003 because I was just looking at a magazine that my that the bus was featured in. It was November of 03. 
So unless it was 02, which I don't I don't think it came out a year later. I think it was the same Probably year not. my car came out. And I remember just pulling out and I had, I mean, to, to have a Type 4 and a bus back then, especially a sh like an upright Porsche 911 shroud, mm -hmm. it was carbon Kevlar, like, and I got out there and people were listening and I was like, all right, bro, here it goes. You got to. You have to. It's like a rite of passage, right? I mean, and then it, it became kind of the thing. And and my attitude was like, listen, I'm not from there, right? I'm not from around here. And I did it at the Pierside Park, <laughs> Pierside Parts open house one time. They were not happy because I kind of stopped the front brake in the carbon cab and just did a big nasty smoke show. And I wasn't allowed back, but they've got new yeah. ownership this year. So I think I'm allowed back now. <laughs> But well, I've got, that was like the thing, you know? I got two stories from that weekend that I'll never forget. The first was at, at Dairy Queen. Um, Dino. Dino Don comes up, starts talking to me, looking at the car and stuff. And he's like, hey, take me for a ride? I'm like, sure, let's go. And uh, so he guides me out of there and sticks me on a freeway. And, of course, I just jump all over it going on the on-ramp onto the freeway. And we make a full pass down onto the freeway. And as we come past a semi truck, I get hit and I get hit in the side by a crosswind. You know, oh. it's just as you pass the front of the semi truck, this big right. crosswind hits us. And I had enough time to just look over my shoulder and, and be like, hold on. And we we went like two or three lanes to the left. Luckily there's oh. no cars there or anything. And you know, we were fourth gear, top fourth gear, and Tino's like, Are we on slicks? Like, yeah, why? <laughs> Just, you know, scaring it to death. You had oh, yeah. oh, tried, yeah. no trying track. to kill a dino, you know. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. But um, we had also planned, I think it was the Friday night. So it was Friday night was at, uh, was at um, Kimco, which Kimco was a pretty big player at that point in time. They sponsored Calic.com. And so we planned a big barbecue and cruise night at Kimco on Friday night yeah. uh, before the Saturday Carlsbad thing. And... We had a band and the guy that owned Kimco got a, you know, like a taco truck or something. They were making, you know, as you do, Southern California, making tacos in the parking lot. And right. I'd say probably 50 or 60 cars showed up. Uh, Daryl Baker was repping for Meguiar's at the time. So he was giving out Meguiar's samples and he was our MC. And uh, Russ Hare showed, this is in Newport Beach. Russ Hare showed up with a Slovel. Um, he got a little overserved at one point. He was that was the year he showed up as um, Danger Russ. I don't know if you remember that or not. He dressed up in all '60s hippie garb and uh, yeah. spent the whole weekend as an alter ego. But uh, he got a little overserved and knocked the band off the stage accidentally, and and it just became eventually it got a little crazy. And the lawfers started the burnout contest there in the parking oh, lot. No. And yeah. It wasn't 20 minutes before the police helicopters came over and oh, yeah. you know, got the spotlights and then all the police showed up and surrounded us and kicked everybody out. Well, okay, that yeah, was it, happened, it happens quick. It used to be kind of a rite of passage when you would leave Nick's to do that. And then I remember, I think it was, uh, I can't remember the year Jesse James came out and got pulled over out mm -hmm. in front of the classic in front of everybody. But uh, I think what had happened was I had... Just before that, because we were going to do something else, we had something else going on that night. We were good. We, you know, it gets to where, as a as a habit down there, you start making all these other plans. We're gonna go to DKP for a little bit, then we'll go here, and you yeah. kind of want to be first in, first out, because if you're last in, you're not getting out of there until right. way late. But 
Yeah, it's just uh, now they kind of shut it down pretty quick. The cops, they usually have a cop car parked like right in the median. Right. <laughs> right, right. Making sure nobody's doing burnouts anymore. Yeah. But uh, that's your fault. though. It's, yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame it's gone now. You know what I mean? And so hopefully there's somewhere that they can do another uh, another Friday night. I think uh, this this weekend for the classic coming up, I think there's going to be something at Pierside Parks mm-hmm. now. So uh, last time I went, they had a. They had the same thing, a taco truck and all that stuff, and CB Performance was there. So I'm That's looking cool. forward to it this year. Man, I'm super excited about this year, the classic and all that coming back. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, for, for us out-of-towners, which we have that common bond together, like neither one of right. us are, are from Orange County. So uh, I like getting my – especially for me, it might be different for you, but when I get out there, man, that cool air, my Volkswagen is like, ooh, what's this, summertime? And it's 80 degrees, like – dry you know, yeah yeah it just seems to just be my, my volkswagen runs better out there and uh who knows maybe this year I, I don't i don't think so but you know listen if a miracle happens and my split window is done it would just be perfect it would just be a perfect a perfect mm-hmm. weekend to bring the car out but uh, i've got a few others to choose from but uh you planning on coming out this year for anything not this year but i want to do it soon because it's probably been 14, 15 years since I've been out there, which I don't know how that happens, Bill. It's just time flies. Um, yeah. Maybe, yeah, it's, it's been a long time for a VW event. You know, I got real heavy into the Porsche thing, did a lot of that stuff. Um, yeah, but now I'm just in, enjoying doing the Volkswagen stuff again. You, you've got, you, we've got, do you have a, is your Porsche 67? Uh, it's a 70, 70S. A 70S. So, and where'd you find that? Is that mostly an original car? Has it been... No, that's a, a full restoration. Did yeah. you do the restoration on that one? Uh, a very good friend of mine did the body and paint. I did pretty much everything else. Now that's a that that's I that's a real car compared to a Volkswagen to restore. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a lot of similarities. There, there's you similarities, know, but glass doors and glass doors and wiring are quite a bit different. I think between yeah. between those two. A lot of the same principles, though. It's that, that yeah. German mindset, you know. Yeah. So, how long um, take to restore that one? <laughs> I think five years. Five years. Yeah, most of and it then, is body shop, but it was a pick, it was a buddy deal, so you know, part time. Can't, can't call and complain. Right. <laughs> no, I hear you, man. I mean, that's a that's a slick looking. I see you got the you got the D spokes on that thing, or what? Yeah. Yeah. Old Americans. Those, those are the same ones from the car that's a second set no it's a second set yeah (laughs) living it up in the corn panzers over there (laughs) yeah in the 67 you know the black car i cut the cage out of it i got got rid of the turbo um i've got the motor out at paradise jason's doing that for me um i'm going to take it back to what it was and so i hope to get it out to some events here in the next year or so you know, just as a, a back as a traditional IDA Calic car, I really look forward to doing that. I miss miss having that car running. Um, now, do you go to a bunch of shows out there in the Midwest? I mean, because there are some shows. They're not very huge, but enough of you guys are starting to sporadically pop up back there. You know, Schwimmer's out on that on that right, side of the country. Right. And, you know, there's guys up in uh, up in Canada, Greg, that I've talked to, Stoggren mm-hmm. up there. He's got yeah, some stuff. Great. And I'm surprised, I'm surprised you guys don't have like a big – kind of meet in the middle VW thing, or is it just a completely different scene that's, out there? Yeah. And that's a long, you know, like Schwimmer's five, five and a half hours for me. 
Greg would be probably 12. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's big distances out here. So, um, what's the biggest VW meat go out to out there, or is the Porsche meat stronger? Yeah, Porsche meat's definitely stronger. Um, I don't know the answer to that. There's uh, Mark Schlachter and the Cincinnati VW Club put on a great show every fall. Uh, it's a VW and Porsche reunion. Um, that's a very nice show. Uh, but you know, there's no racing or anything like that. Um, there's a there's a show at my local track in June that uh, is kind of being rejuvenated. The the local shop ran it for about 20 years, and then he got sick of doing it. So one of the one of the pro stock guys here in the area just because he didn't want to see it die, kind of took it on. And, you know, he admits he's not a promoter, but he's just like, you know, if we don't, if someone doesn't take it on and, and help keep it alive, it's just going to die and we'll have one less fun thing to do. So uh, kudos to him for doing that. Um, and it's, it's a nice little show and I think it'll grow. He's working real hard to get it, get it going. Um, but there, yeah, there's not really a lot to be honest with you. Now, have you found the difference between like the Porsche circles and the VW circles? Like since you've been on the enthusiast side on both, it's, it's two distinctly different kind of guys, but there, there are some of those crossover guys mm -hmm. like you and guys that you'll meet that like they'll respect the Volkswagen because they're just a genuine car guy. You know right. what I mean? And I think right. Porsches are so expensive and a lot of them have been maintained really well that you, you don't get baptized by fire like you do in the vw world right like you buy you buy some heap of junk vw and the thing just leaves you dead on the side of the road and like right. you know what i mean most guys buy them out of financial situation so have you found the difference between the two types of people and then uh, and some of your style obviously bleeds over which the d spokes were really early probably when you probably put them on the car before they were appreciated you know what i mean mm -hmm. now though, all those yeah. things are super cool now you know what i mean yeah. like yeah. It, it's definitely been some time it's it's a funny you know i bought my 911 in 02 yeah um before they were so cool I, before they were before they were expensive before well, they were I, I don't mean to i don't mean to one up you but i want to brag that i parted out a 65 9 <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I parted, I parted out a complete 65 911 that I bought for $400 oh, from God. this off-road shop here. And, uh, you know, I made 1500 bucks that weekend. So I tripled my awesome. money and that's how you get rich, you know? Yeah. The carburetors <laughs> on that 911 are worth eh, 7500 bucks probably now. But well, I, and, and I fought with a guy, a Porsche guy that was trying to buy them for $400. And I said, no, they're 600 And he fought me for the triple throat Webers. And when he finally came back to buy him, I said, no, you're such a jerk. I won't even sell them to you because VW people are way cooler than you. But it's nice. like, I mean, I had the 356 style gauges that had everything. But yeah, that was yeah. Uh, in hindsight, if I had just put that car in my backyard and sat on it till then, it would have been because yeah, it had rust around the rear window. And I was like, nah, this thing's out of here. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a that's a virgin one owner back here. <laughs> um, yeah, the. Uh, that's changed a lot because when I bought into that car, it was more of a, um, you know, I, I'm part of the R group, which was a bunch of hot rodder 911 guys back then. And they would drive anywhere and the cars weren't pristine. It was kind of like the DKP. It was actually modeled after the DKP. Um, was it? Yeah. Roger Grego was one of the founding R group guys. And of course he was in DKP too back in the seventies. And so that's kind of where the, the idea or the concept came from. Um, 
Now, didn't one of the guys who started that thing just pass away recently? Yeah, Chris uh, Chris Huergis passed away about two years ago, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, so yeah. at that time they weren't worth that much. You know, I would take my my seventy S to a PCA event around here, and people would just look at you like, you know, because oh, you're not race, you're not a racer, and you don't own a right. new Boxster, so what do we do with you? Um, right. You know, it was like, oh, you can't afford a new one, huh? And, and and so you still you could have that little punk rock attitude you talked about with the Cowboys. <laughs> you had the same kind of attitude with the early nine elevens. Then all of a sudden they became really cool and and uh and valuable and so that has made them a lot less fun um they're you know because they're just too expensive um and the, the wrong well i shouldn't say the wrong kind of people that's not fair but it's a different type type of person it's a different crowd yeah they're they're buying them as investments and to yeah so um but back then, they weren't really that much different than a hardcore performance VW guy. It's right. sort of the same because mentality. You were the guy that, like, before it became cool to have the early 911s, it was like, that car doesn't have air conditioning or cruise control. Why bother? Like, right. that's an antiquated. And it was like, you know, there's there's a, quite a few punk rock ones out there. There's a guy, Joshy Roberts, has one. And a couple other guys that just have, like, completely roached out 911s. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I've had in my personal purchase for twelve hundred bucks in two thousand five. I sold it for thirty five hundred bucks, and I laughed all the way to the bank. Oh yeah, because that's how you, that's how you get rich. Yeah, <laughs> and and in hindsight, this car was so stinking nice. I mean, it was it had a dent on the door, and I was like, nope, too much body work for me. And uh, I I was gonna buy it and keep it, and I ended up selling. It. I've had it. I've owned an eighty six nine eleven, which. Um, People told me I was crazy when I bought it for twelve thousand five hundred. It had one hundred and eighty-six thousand miles. Yeah. And someone was like, "Man, you're an idiot for buying that car." And then I called my buddy that I met at Pomona, my my good friend um, C. Thomas Woodford. He did the on the I Pelican parts. Yeah. No, I knew Tom. So, yeah. Yeah, Tom. I met old Jersey Tom at the Pomona swap meet, and I used to bust his chops about Porsche parts that I'd try to swipe on him on the cheap. He's like, no, I know you VW guys. You guys got money, so you can pay. Like, I'm just a VW guy, but, you know. Believe it or know. not, Tom, the first car I shot for excellence was a car that Tom built, and he uh, he was there with me when I when I photographed that car. So, yeah. Oh, he's he's a, he's, a cool he's one of the guys I'm talking about. He's a guy. He's a car guy, mm-hmm. Porsche guy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he had, he used to, at Pomona Swap, he would have a, he had a, he had a late model bay window bus that was two-tone red red and beige and it had a flame pinstripe on the body line but yep. he had a 911 flat six in it and right. he's just an old school porsche mechanic and i i just talked to him probably two or three weeks ago i called him he lives in winnemucca now and he's yep. uh he's trying to do salt flat stuff he's, he's trying to break 200 mile an hour in his 911 and nice. uh he's just a, he's just a solid dude but like those are the guys that i met at pomona and um you know just just good good dudes um that are car guys irrespective he's always given me you know the respect of just being a car guy and he's a porsche guy and i'm a vw guy and i i tell you i called tom woodford before i bought the 911 just because i knew him from from pomona and i said hey i'm gonna buy this car he says that car with 186,000 miles it'll run for another hundred thousand yeah and i 
I had my 86 911 and uh, it was in the driveway while my Volkswagens were in the garage. And so I thought, <laughs> uh, I should sell the 911. I, I sold it for 14 grand and I laughed all the way to the bank. <laughs> so I get rich. And uh, in hindsight, um, I don't know, man. Then the last one that I owned, I, I, I haven't purchased another one yet, but the last one that I owned was a, a 99996. Yep. That that the guy optioned out literally everything on, and I got spooked in about 2013, and I sold it for like, for really 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 good money. I sold it for 26 grand back then, and which was like they were selling for 18 19 grand. Yeah, that was good money. Yeah, and this was a factory arrow kit car, like like mm. had every option on it. And I'm longing for another 911. But you know the difference is between driving a 911 and driving a Volkswagen. In your Volkswagen, you're trying to race everybody. In your 911, everyone is trying right. to race you right. all the time. Especially, I don't know what it is. Especially the guys in the Chrysler 300s. I don't know what the deal is with the Chrysler 300s, <laughs> but those guys, those guys think those cars are super fast. Well, you know, you, you talk about the punk rock thing, and I know that I love that analogy. I think Bill Schwimmer kind of coined that with his car and, and what they were doing back there in the 80s and stuff. But I think that's why the streetcar stuff and even the racing has kind of died out now. Because, you know, in the early 2000s, a 12-second streetcar was a fast car. There, right. was not, there was not much on the street that would hang with the Beetle. You know, sure. I, I drove around on slicks all the time. He said, hey, I'm in Ohio and I'm in a Volkswagen. The cops yeah. are not going to notice. I'm, you know, who's going to look that I'm on slicks? So I'm on slicks. Sure. I'm rear motored. Um, it made power on the street from stoplight to stoplight. There was nothing hardly at all that would keep with it. Now everything's got three, four or five hundred horsepower uh, traction control, blah, blah, blah. It's it's not fast anymore. You know, a 12-second Beetle just is not fast. I used to go to the Strip. I literally had people a test and two night in the lanes. They'd wave you, th wave you through to come around to, you know, into the water box, and no one would follow me. And I'd just <laughs> sit there and wait because no one wanted to race the Volkswagen because there was, it was a no-win situation, you know? It's like Gene Berg always said, if you win, big deal. You beat a Volkswagen. But if you lose... Right. Um, and so I, I had that happen to me that people, no one would go race me because back then that was quick, but now it's not that quick. And uh, I think that's why, you know, you, you don't have kind of that punk rock mentality going around wanting to race everybody. And, and I think that's part of the reason why you don't see so many performance, you know, 12 second cars being built anymore. Yeah. Plus it's expensive. Well, you know? I, but I think, you know, we're, uh, a lot of us have we're all we're all uh, getting a little bit older, and we're moving to a demographic where we we have the money to build it the way that we want it now. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, my problem is I just keep buying other projects that are diverting me from where I'm trying to go. It's easier and that way. Isn't it? I need to than actually working on one. Just buying another one's a lot easier. <laughs> right, but the problem is. I can't ever leave anything alone, so I buy it, and then I make this mental list of these 50 things it needs, and then I don't want to touch it, and right. then now I got all these cars that need all this work. So in my head, I've been going through this evolution of like, okay, I have to either find a nice place to park these cars or start to thin the herd and really build. Because I was talking to Lee Bashaw, 
and I looked at his car. I was talking to my wife about Lee and his car and all this stuff, and I'm looking at a super nice picture of this car that it, that he sent me, and I'm, I'm looking at it, and I said to my wife, how come I just can't be happy with one really nice car, just one car <laughs> that's really nice? Why do I have to have a bus and a Gia and, you know, well, at least and you I, haven't got, I, got totally insane and went and bought a race car. That would be really stupid. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. I, I didn't buy a race car. I parked my money in the shape of a race car that I can <laughs> always get my money back out as long as I don't continue to keep throwing money into it because race cars are cheap. I'm not I'm not 100% sure. And But I, I thought it's too cheap not to buy it. And then come to find out as I'm looking at this race car, it's a freaking 64 steel sunroof car. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, I was like, because I, I didn't get, obviously it's a race car, didn't get a title for it, all this stuff. Now I'm going to get the title and all these things for it. And, uh, you know, not that I'm ever going to restore it, but yeah. it's one other thing that, that makes it that makes it kind of fun. So we'll see. We'll, Bill T will be campaigning a race car coming up, and uh, it's going to be, like, it'll be me or my brother driving it. And I got one word gonna, for you. Transaxle, <laughs> transaxle, transaxle, transaxle. And so that, I'm asking the question. So you raced your car a bunch. How many, how many seasons or things did you get out of your tranny? It was, it was Russian roulette. You never knew. Um, it generally, what I found is the further from home or the less convenient to get home it was, the like more likely the gearbox would grenade. <laughs> Um, I made the stupid mistake of flat towing my car an hour to a track one oh, time wow. and, uh, blew up the ring opinion. Flat and, towing it? Well, no, racing it, you know, on the starting oh. line, like, you know, great launch 50 foot and hucks the gearbox on the ground. Um, yeah. and then how do I get it home? It's a swing axle car that's got a big box of rocks in it. So right. I had to, you know, I had to call, call, call a flatbed and flatbed the thing home 70 miles or whatever it was. That was expensive. Um, yeah, it just got old after a while, especially with a street car. Is a race car, you, you know, you just Zeus fasten off the body panels and you have full access to everything and you just throw the motor on the ground. It's no big deal. You don't have to take the carburetors off. That's uh, a lot simpler process. But with a street car, you really got to disassemble the thing. And when I was young, it was fun, and then it became less fun <laughs> and more expensive. Um, you know, it just after a while, it's like this isn't worth it to go out. The, the last race, I went to Indy, and you know, I didn't have a trailer, so I rented a trailer and borrowed a truck and took it over there. And we had a hotel, and I had race fuel and you know, registration, whatever the entry fee was, and the first practice pass went 20 feet, you know, and it's done. Put it back on the trailer. And that was it. I'm like, I, I this is, this is, uh, it was a heavy car. It was a street car. So yeah, it's just kind of a fool's, fool's errand. But uh, yeah, that kind of burnt me out on it. Yeah, it gets, it gets, it gets to be, if, if you can't even get, listen, you're talking to a guy who sold his, I blocked up my motor and sold my 63 rag top. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and vowed never to go back to Volkswagen. And that, so uh, here I am all these years later got real back into it but yeah it's a it's a, it's a tough uh, it's a tough thing which is why my philosophy with the drag bug is overbuild it and underdrive it so we'll see how well go. that works but uh, we'll see I mean it's got built stuff like I said it was 
five grand for a complete car, motor, IDAs. Oh, really? Tran like the whole thing. It's I can take it to the track now, like wow. right now. So that's the reason why I had to move on it because, you know, I figure I get a couple good passes out of it. Uh, my brother can drive and fix and all that mm -hmm. fun stuff too. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, it's hard yeah, to beat that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But listen, you know, my brother, he, I told him, I said, Hey man, you drive as much as you want, whatever the case is like, yeah, I'm probably gonna be the one fixing it anyway. I said, you probably are. George. <laughs> probably are. You probably are. So, but you know, it's, it's what we do. It's what we do for the hobby, right? It's what we do for this ridiculous passion that I don't know how it gets started or how it gets going, but, um, it's I'm fun. thankful it for it, man. In, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for the friends I've made and the people mm -hmm. that I've done. And I really enjoy being able to do the podcast and bring all all of this to people that don't really get to know who's who and what's what in right. the UW scene. And, 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 and I believe it brings the scene closer together. You know what I mean? People kind of get to feeling like they know you a little bit after listening to a couple guys yak for an hour and a half. You yeah. Know? So well, Especially the, <laughs> the older guys that you're, you've been bringing on the podcast from the 80s, you know, who the guys we were reading about back then and uh, yeah. you're dredging them up and getting them on. That's been a lot of fun, but yeah, you know, we joked earlier about dropping names and stuff. Um, all those people that I interacted with, you know, from Dino and Cormac and Schwimmer and Beecher, you know, just the paradise guys. Uh, the reason I bring them up is I love them. You know, they're just, they've been so good to me, all of them. Um, I've got some excellent friends out of this. Uh, had a lot of fun, um, but yeah, good people have treated us well over the years, um, done a lot of favors, that sort of thing. So that's, that's been the, the real fun thing through all this is just meeting some excellent people. And, uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah. If, if, if you're ever in a, in a scenario and you're trapped somewhere, you hope the other guy's a VW guy, man, because at <laughs> least they're going to be, there be two things. You're going to have some kind of camaraderie and they're going to be resourceful, man. They're going to figure out how to. How to make chicken soup out of chicken poop, man. Right. So unless they're a type three guy that figures out you cut up a type thirty-four, that <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then they're not talking to you. But uh <laughs> no, man, it's been great having on the podcast, man. For sure. We'll uh we'll we'll do it again. Anything you have that you have new and good or anything like that coming up that I can help get some more eyeballs to or any of that kind of stuff, man. By all means, I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully, um, if I head out Midwest, I'll track you down. I promise that. And uh, if you come out to the West Coast, man, look me up because I'd definitely love to hang out with you for a little bit and uh, and shoot the breeze and look at cars and act stupid. You know, yeah. that's what, uh, yeah, I'm that's good what we that. do. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, it's, been, it's great. Great having you on here. People want to get in touch with you. How do they how can they grab it to get you on Facebook or Instagram? Uh, or yeah, Facebook, Instagram. Um, uh, I think Corn Panzer on Instagram. Nice. And, uh, and uh, I think just my name on Facebook, if I remember right. Well, very cool, man. Very cool. I'm, I'm glad we finally got to sit down and get you on the podcast, brother. Yeah. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Well, cool, man. Have a good night.